Thanks, Pastor Brad. Well, it's good to be with you. As uh, Brad said, my name's Wally, and I have the privilege of being also being on the leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And if you just joined us today to come and see your grandchildren or your niece or nephew uh, or your friend's kids, uh, we've been in a series this uh, Advent called Love Is. And we've been exploring what does love look like in the Christmas narrative. Now, for most of us, there's really two sort of obvious or main characters in the Christmas narrative, and that's God and Mary. God the Father authors a divine conception in the womb of Mary, and Jesus, God's Son, is born. And he's called Emmanuel, God with us. And even as Jesus grows and continues his main role throughout the Gospels, Mary continues as well. Mary is uh, often mentioned in the life and in the death of Jesus. Joseph, on the other hand, Mary's husband, has seemingly a much lesser role in the Christmas narrative and in the life of Jesus. In fact, we can't really focus too much on Joseph because the Gospels really don't mention him very much. But surely, Joseph is integral to the birth narrative. Surely, he has something to say. I mean, after all, he's engaged to the woman who's going to give birth to the Messiah, to the Christ child. And he's going to be part of parenting Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So he must have something to say about what love is. So if you have your Bibles or if you have a device with you and you want to uh, open it up your app, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. It's a unique passage because in the gospel accounts, Matthew is the only one to record these events about Joseph within the Christmas narrative, the birth of Jesus. And as we're about to read, we're going to find Joseph going about his daily routine. He's engaged to be married. He's probably thinking primarily about that when all of a sudden, unexpectedly, things go sideways for him and his life starts to unravel. Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the, his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So who is Joseph? What's he going through? And what does he have to tell us this Advent about what love is? Notice in the passage how it begins and how it ends. Verse 18 and verse 25. In verse 18, Mary is referred to as Jesus' mother. Joseph is not referred to as Jesus' father. 
Verse 25, it says, and her son. It does not say, and their son. Mary is the mother. Joseph is not the father. We know more about Mary's significant role because she's, her events and her life story is also recorded in another gospel written by Luke. In Luke chapter 1, he, re, he uh, records the account of the angel Gabriel coming and visiting Mary and explaining to her all that she's uh, going to go through and experience. And has an actual conversation. Like, Mary's allowed to ask questions like, what? How is this possible? Like, do you know who I am? And do you know the, cons- the, the state that I'm in? I'm a virgin. Like, how does all this happen? Luke records that whole scene in Luke chapter 1 and tells us that Mary's going to be the chosen one. But Joseph doesn't know this. He wasn't there when Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her what was going to happen. Joseph is simply going about his daily routine, knowing that he's engaged, knowing that he's going to get married, thinking about what all that's going to entail. And verse 18 tells us that he's engaged. And that means something very different in Joseph and Mary's time than in our time. You see, when uh, Mary and Joseph intended to be married in their time, they would have gone to their local rabbi, they would have declared their intent to be married, and they would have actually, the rabbi would have actually brought out uh, a legal document. And Joseph and Mary would have publicly signed a legal document which would have bound them together in front of their community. Now, there was only one, there were only two ways to break that engagement if, in the case of the woman being found to be unfaithful. Option one was drastic and it brought public shame to the female. And that was the fiancé, the man, the groom-to-be, having her taken and publicly stoned, often to death. Option two, more compassionate but rarely taken, was to go back to the rabbi and in private pay for a bill of divorce. Embarrassing to the groom-to-be in front of the rabbi, Embarrassing for the wife-to-be because it would still affect her family. She would bring shame within her household. But at least it wasn't public. It was the more gracious and caring thing to do. Verse 19 tells us that Joseph was a righteous man, which means he was a just man. He cared about doing the right thing. So because Mary had been unfaithful in his eyes, he decides to break off the engagement in the most gracious way that he can do that without, wanting, without hurting Mary. He loved her, but in his eyes, divorce was the logical way forward. Now again, remember, Mary at this point is the only one who knows the facts from the source. Luke tells us that Mary's alone when she has her encounter, her conversation with the angel Gabriel. She's alone when Gabriel says, you will become pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no priest there, there's no rabbi there, there's no fiancé there, there's no parents there. There's nobody there to corroborate her story. So from the onset, you can imagine Mary's story is completely unbelievable. There's no one there to back it up. It's laughable at best. Maybe Mary needs some psychotic help. But it's blasphemous at worst. Maybe she really does need to be taken out and stoned. But Joseph knows Mary. At least he thinks he knows Mary. Like, would Mary really joke about this? 
Like Mary was raised in a good household. Mary was raised to follow the Torah. Would she really joke about this? She seems to truly believe that she is pregnant with the Messiah, the Christ child. Nevertheless, having decided on divorce, Joseph's next question would be obvious. What any of us men would ask if we were in his situation, who's the father? Joseph has a clear conscience. It's not him. Throughout their engagement, he has never crossed that line. He has never, never physically uh, engaged her in any kind of sexual relationship. So Mary obviously couldn't be the person that he thought she was. In one short conversation, everything in Joseph's life gets turned upside down. Everything he dreamt about is now devastatingly laid barren. That one shocking conversation, his perception of Mary shattered his life, his future, in complete shambles. Verse 18, Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage takes place, while she's a virgin, she becomes pregnant. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Regardless of who the father was, there's only one proper option for Joseph. There's only one way that Joseph saves face in this whole encounter, and that's a bill of divorce. Because he wasn't there when Gabriel said, and you will become pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't told about that one clause. And so all he has is his fiancée's shocking words to go by. And then to make matters worse, Mary tells him, and then she leaves town. Like, what's that all about? Luke 1 tells us that after Mary tells, uh, receives the, the, the news from Gabriel, shortly thereafter, she's probably told Joseph that she leaves town to go and visit, in the hill countries, her relatives, Elizabeth, who's carrying John the Baptist, and her husband, Zechariah. So at a time when Joseph most needs to to, to discern and talk and figuring out what he's going to do with this life-altering decision that's before him. He doesn't even have Mary to talk to about it. She hightails it out of town. Verse 20. As he considered breaking the engagement, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So Joseph has said goodbye to Mary he heads home. He falls into bed. You can imagine that sleep that night, restless, alone, full of confusion, negative foreshadowing. And then suddenly his sleep is interrupted by an angel speaking to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Well, now you tell me, now you finally tell me about that clause that was really important in this whole story. Astonishingly, the angel actually confirms Mary's story. Verse 20, the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The firstborn was always named after the father. But remember, Joseph's not the father. Verse 21, 
She will have a son, you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Back in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So Matthew doesn't leave any question in his commentary as to what's actually happening. God spoke these words to the prophet Isaiah centuries ago. And Joseph would know this from his teaching, from his time spent in the the synagogue school. But he had no idea when he was being taught that, that one day it would be his fiancée who would be the virgin, the chosen virgin. And in that moment, Joseph moves from a state of confusion and safety in terms of his own safety net in his community and, and seeking out that divorce to this mind-boggling place. Imagine being in his shoes. Place of risk now, of the unknown. How can this be? Did an angel really speak to him in a dream? You can imagine waking up that morning. And if so, what do I do? Friends, this is where we find out in Joseph's story what love is. Namely, love is obedience. Love is obedience. When Joseph woke up, verse 24, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born so that she could be a virgin when the son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. The confusion and the wrestling when he wakes up are gone. The way forward is clear. He starts to connect the dots with what he heard from Mary, with what he's been taught in the scripture, and what he's been told by the angel. On that morning, Joseph woke up and did what the Lord commanded him to do. Let that sink in. Think of all that we've just envisioned and imagined Joseph going through. Think of the last couple days and the complete upheaval of his life. Think of all the turmoil. Think of breaking up with the love of your life. Think of having her run off and leaving you completely alone and you having already plotted out what that divorce is going to look like and how you're going to reestablish your life within your community. And in that moment, Joseph wakes up and he did what the Lord commanded him to do. He obeyed because he loved God. Friends, in Joseph's Christmas story, love is obedience. John, in his first of three epistle books, 1 John, repeatedly makes this link between love and obedience. We don't often connect those two. They seem so diverse. Love is this sort of... I don't know, this mushy emotion, you know, we, we kind of get it. It's part of the heart. Obedience is this, this place of action, and ah, we pull and push against it, and do I really want to obey? I don't like obeying, ah, you know. And we don't always connect those two. But John clearly connects them in his book, 1 John, chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. We can be sure that we know God if we obey his commands. Those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. Joseph did what the Lord commanded. It's called obedience. It's not called inviting. It's not called easy. It's not called comfortable. When the Lord calls you to do something, 
That's out of your routine. When the Lord calls you to step out in risk, when the Lord places a significant challenge in front of you that goes against human logic, it usually comes with a price. Shortly after Joseph and Mary got married, she would have begun to show. She would have started to wear maternity clothes. And the community around them would obviously know something was up. The community could do the math. And the community would start to distance and question and gossip and have this sense of disdain towards Joseph and towards Mary. How dare they bring this kind of shame on our community? How dare they do this to their parents? Joseph knew all of this would happen, but he did what the Lord commanded him to do. He loved God via his obedience despite the challenges associated with it. Now, none of us can truly know everything that Joseph went through. The Gospels don't speak much more of him beyond this. But in this small window, he sets this profound example for us to follow as God speaks to us. And friends, God is always speaking to us. So on behalf of Joseph, let me close today with four questions for you. First, are you facing a life-altering decision in this season? This is the type of decision that's most likely to move you in a direction marked with sacrifice and risk. Friend, if God is in it, go there. If God is in the decision you are facing, go there. Yes, check his word for contradiction or affirmation. Joseph would have known his teaching of the scriptures. Yes, pray and listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he comes to you in a dream. Sometimes he comes to you and speaks through another person. Sometimes he comes to you and speaks through the word. Or sometimes you hear him. Sometimes in an audible voice. Sometimes within your spirit you sense what he is saying. So speak up, seek out spirit-filled wisdom and counsel. And if God is in the asking, go there, whatever it requires. Second, when you become the brunt of talk from those who wonder how you could possibly make such a decision at this point in time in your life with those kind of ripple effects, what are you going to do? Prepare yourself. Because questioning and, and, um, and opposition will come. It will come from people. But if God is in the ask, go there. Go there. How often we let public or peer pressure keep us from obedience. What will people think? What will they say? How will they treat me? Whatever the reaction of others, be prepared and do what the Lord is asking of you. Follow Joseph's example. Third, in the ask, are you being required to stand alone? You see, at their festive wedding, Joseph was going to be the center stage, at center stage. It's a little bit different back then than now. Now the, the bride is center stage, and the groom kind of stands, and, and all the splendor is, the spotlight is on the bride. Back then, Joseph would have been center stage. Joseph would have been the one 
to start the family within his community. Joseph would have been the one to father their firstborn child and have his, his name, his personal name, carried on within the community. Joseph would have been the one to celebrate with his peers and his, his family and his friends. But not now. Not now. Joseph stands now apart from his peers. There wouldn't have been this big, big wedding where once he would have been looking forward to all of this, where once he would have been looking forward to celebrating with his family and his friends, now his friends would have been saying what? Whoa, don't ask me to stand up there with you. I don't want any part of this. Like you're on your own, buddy. You made your bed here. Friends, your decision may leave you standing on your own for a while. And it's okay. If God is in the ask, if God is leading you there, then go there. You're in good company if you are standing alone in obedience to God. Let me repeat that. You are in good company if you are standing alone in obedience to God. Last question. Has the Lord revealed his will to you and you're resisting his call? Go there. Is there a better choice than being in the will of God for you, regardless of what that might involve? Chances are good that many people won't understand, especially if it's a, a risk that the Lord is asking you to take. Chances are people are going to question why you're doing what you're doing because God often goes against human logic. He often directs in ways that are other than the masses are headed. Has the Lord been revealing his will to you, asking you to go in a certain direction, but you've been resisting? Go there. You can't do any better in your life than to follow the will of God for your life. So live out your obedience to him by going there. Now, will you always get it right? Probably not. I don't think Joseph got it right all the time. I mean, we don't have record of him in the Gospels, but I'm quite certain that he didn't always get it right. I don't always get it right. So I'm pretty con uh, convinced that none of us here are always going to get it right. But that doesn't change the fact that the Lord is always speaking to us. And he's always directing us and asking us to go. He speaks to our spirits. He sees our hearts. And what he desires is a heart that is receptive to him. What he desires is a heart that's ready to step out in faith and take that risk. Faith to be obedient to what we hear, what we believe he's calling us to do. So as he does, friends, go there. Go there. If God is in the ask, then go there. Take that stand. Make that move. Stay the course. Maybe it's not making that move. Maybe it's sacrificing your finances. Maybe it's forgiving that person. Maybe it's having a conversation. Maybe it's speaking out or stepping up or stepping aside. When God is in the asking, go there despite the war that wages between our heart and the circumstances around us that want to pull us in different directions. Joseph did as the Lord commanded. 
Matthew 1.24 records perhaps the greatest epitaph that any of us could ever ask to have on our tombstone. He did as, or she did as the Lord commanded. Friends, would we all go there? Would we all go there? As the worship team comes forward and we move into a time of singing in response, our prayer team's going to head to the back and we'll have Allie and Sylvia and Constance ready to pray with you. You may be wrestling with an upcoming decision, wondering if you're hearing God correctly. You may be resisting what you already know, what you already sense and have heard the Lord asking of you, and you're afraid of the risk and of the unknown of what's coming. I invite you to go to the back and pray with these people. They're spirit-led. They've lived, they have lived experience. They have gifts of discernment. They have ears to hear. So go and engage with one of them as the rest of us stand together and sing. So let's stand together. Ron and the team are going to lead us in response, and our prayer team is going to be available at the back for you.